Russian missile attack hits a crowded restaurant in Ukraine, killing at least 11 people, including three children. A twisted web of metal beans and ash. The aftermath of an attack that snuffed out the lives of people eating dinner. How the Wagner mutiny may have China looking at its relationship with Russia. While Chinese state-run media cheered Putin's swift efforts to stamp out the rebellion, even some in China, where critical speech is tightly controlled, have started to question Beijing's bet on Russia. And later in the program, a look at some of the aircraft Ukrainian troops are using in the field. Today is Wednesday, June 28th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London in Washington. A Russian missile struck a crowded pizza restaurant in the eastern Ukrainian city of Kramatorsk on Tuesday, killing at least 11 people, including three children, as rescue crews combed the rubble in search of casualties. Joel Flynn with Reuters begins our coverage. A twisted web of metal beans and ash. The aftermath of an attack that snuffed out the lives of people eating dinner at a restaurant in Ukraine. Footage from the National Police appeared to show the city of Kramatorsk as it was confronted with yet another day of grief on Tuesday. Russian missiles hit the city again, killing a number of people, according to local officials and police. Dozens were injured. The dead included a child. Speaking to Reuters, witnesses said they were in disbelief. I ran here after the explosion because I rented a cafe here. Everything has been blown out there. There's nothing. No windows, no doors. All I see is destruction, fear and horror. This is the 21st century. And all the destruction is shocking to see in real life. When you see in photos, it's different. What you see on TV doesn't even begin to show what you see in real life. The Donetsk Regional State Administration posted video of people dressed in military fatigues helping move the injured. As darkness fell on the city, people were still seen in police video being pulled from the rubble. Missiles also hit a village on the fringes of the city on Tuesday and a cluster of buildings in Kremenchuk, about 230 miles west in central Ukraine. President Vladimir Zelensky said in his nightly video message that Moscow must be held to account. Every such act of terror proves again and again to us and the whole world that Russia deserves only one thing as a consequence of all that it has done. Defeat and the tribunal, fair and lawful trials against all Russian murderers and terrorists. Kramatorsk has frequently been a target of Russian attacks. It's a major city west of the front lines in Donetsk province and a likely key objective in any Russian advance. Russia denies targeting civilian sites in what it has described as a, quote, special military operation since invading its neighbour in February 2022. 
Joel Flynn reporting from Reuters. I spoke with VOA's Heather Murdoch, who has been traveling through Ukraine for the past several weeks and has just arrived in Poland. Heather, I understand you are very familiar with that area and that particular restaurant. It sounds like it's a very popular place and you've actually frequented it yourself. What insight can you provide into this? The area that was hit yesterday was in the center of Krematorsk, which is the safest, if not exactly safe, city in a region that is embattled with front lines in many different towns and cities. It's not far from uh, the city of Bakhmut, which I'm sure you know has been a hot zone for a year now and is now controlled by, for the most part, by the Russians. In the center of the city, there is this restaurant, there is a grocery store across the street, there's several shops and other shopping centers, and we don't usually see bombs there. This particular restaurant is not only the most popular one around, it's also the one that is open the latest. There's a strict curfew in Krematorsk. So almost everything is closed by 8 o'clock and they stay open just a little bit later. And they are very popular among soldiers, also journalists and aid workers. But there's a military base nearby. It's also, as I said, the closest safe place to a lot of front lines. So soldiers come back from the front lines to rest a little bit in Krematorsk and often go to this restaurant. So the fact that it was bombed leaves me to wonder why. Were they trying to target all of these soldiers or are the Russian forces getting closer? to Krematorsk, which would be strategically a major gain for Russia and a major loss for Ukraine if it became an actual frontline zone. And you've been there. You've eaten there. Yeah, many times I've eaten there because besides being the most popular and, and also open a little later so you can get there after work, it's also very good. So we go there all the time and enjoy it. And it's a bit shocking. I mean, I know it's a war and I know we see this kind of thing every day, but it's like a little bit of normalcy inside a restaurant like this, inside the war zone. And even that little bit of normalcy is gone. So it's shocking in that way. And you've been traveling for several weeks around Ukraine, bearing witness to what is going on on the ground. And I know you've just arrived in Poland. It sounds like one of the hotels that you were recently staying in also had a pretty close call. On the same night, the restaurant was bombed in Krematorsk. The hotel we were staying at was also hit. It wasn't a direct hit. It was hit about 10 to 15 meters away. We don't know what the target would have been because this was on the outskirts of Krematorsk and as far as we know, not near any particular critical infrastructure or military installments. I can't say that for sure. The owners of the hotel sent my friend uh, pictures of the damage of the hotel, including a picture of my room, which was destroyed. VOA's Heather Murdoch in Warsaw, Poland. The Tuesday evening attack on Kramatorsk also wounded at least 61 people using what officials said were S-300 missiles. Also damaged were 18 multi-story buildings, 65 houses, five schools, two kindergartens, a shopping center, an administrative building, and a recreational facility. Our coverage of this latest Russian attack continues with Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. Anna, we're hearing that Ukrainian authorities Wednesday arrested a man they believe helped Russia direct this missile strike at this popular pizza restaurant in a city in East Ukraine. This is definitely one of the biggest and bloodiest attacks that we've been reporting so far. And Ukrainian security forces reported that a man who was helping Russian forces appointed target and this man was arrested. And for the moment, investigation isn't going, but he's under arrest. And I understand today, Wednesday, is... Ukraine's Constitution Day. Yes, an important date in the calendar for Ukrainians. Today, the Constitution Day and President Zelensky had
had a special visit to the parliament of Ukraine, had a speech uh, in the parliament and presented military and uh, Ukrainian soldiers of different ranks with national awards. And particularly, he presented the hero of Ukraine to the commander of a group of air defense team who destroyed 13 Kinjal, Arab ballistic Kinjal missiles in the air above Kyiv last month. And it comes as another high-profile visitor is in Ukraine. This goes in line with another unannounced visit by Andrzej Duda, the president of Poland. Uh, he arrived today. He has this another special conversation, negotiations with President Zelensky. According to information that we know for the moment, the main topics of their uh, negotiation would be preparation for NATO summit, which is happening in July. And also they are discussing the current situation at the front line, as well as all the risks connected to the security of the Parisian nuclear power plant and everything which is happening around the plant. That was Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kyiv. One of the biggest growing concerns is the threat of a Russian attack on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. I spoke with VOA's Ukrainian service managing editor Tatyana Voroshka about the concerns and her recent conversation with Ukrainian presidential advisor Mikhailo Podolak. Earlier, the head of Ukraine's military intelligence, uh, Kirill Budanov, said that uh, Russians who controlled the nuclear plant in Zaporizhia installed weapons with mines near four out of six nuclear reactors and that the plan to commit terrorist acts could happen at any moment. It already approved. I asked Podolak whatever the threat increased or decreased considering the events over the weekend. He believes that it remains the same. They are monitoring the activity on the plant and Energodar very closely. But we know that the White House uh, representative of National Security Council, John Kirby, said that they assess that Russia's nuclear threat remains did not increase, it remains stable, and also that they don't believe that the uh, terrorist activity on the Parisian nuclear plant is imminent. Podolak replied that there was the same uh, with blowing up the Kahovka hydropower plant dam. There was no announcement made in advance. Nobody was expecting expecting, at least on the United States side. Nobody was going to say that it happened. It just happened. He believes it might happen the same with Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. And in order to ask him, how would you decrease the threat? What would you want the West, uh, United States, to do to to uh, to limit this threat? And he said there are a few things that would Kiev would love them to do. The first one is publicly, and he underlined publicly, uh, spell out the consequences for Russian people, for Russian authorities. What would happen if that happens? And he pointed out that Kiev was pretty frustrated with reaction to the blowing up the Kahovka Dam. There was not so much attention. There was nobody was spelling out the consequences for Russia for doing that. He believes that should be some summit, some high-level event where the damage would be assessed, the economic danger to Ukraine, the environmental disaster, uh, the tragedy, the people who were affected by this tragedy would be, you know, publicized. They would have, they would, he believes they would have some effect. And he also thinks that uh, Ros, uh, Rosatom, the nuclear agency of the Russian Federation cannot uh, continue operating the way it is, which is uh, pretty much like any other companies having contracts and working abroad. Did you also discuss what happened over the weekend with the Progosian mutiny and what was his reaction to that? Yeah, absolutely. He was very active in commenting uh, on these developments for over the weekend. So I basically asked, what's your conclusions on that? Uh, so he said that it showed several, several things. First is that Putin is weak and he's not very popular even among 
among his elites, but elites do not have consensus or who would be replacement for Putin and how to take power. And also he said that the fact that we, we see how easily and quickly Russia can be became chaotic, how it easy for the uh, Russian elites to lose control. And he thinks that the longer the war in Ukraine lasts, the more instability um, Russia experiences. And that would lead to the lose-nuke situation. So he basically underlines that those uh, on the West who think that, you know, weak Putin uh, means stability in Russia and preventing from those loose nukes falling into the wrong hand are actually wrong. Ukraine's victory would mean more stability for Russia. And for practical, asking what would you want to have the kind of like a practical conclusions, he said, uh, first of all, it's uh, providing more weapons to Ukraine and just to sit down with partners and take a look and make a conclusions. Like, what do we need to, to win as soon as possible? And of course, it's first of all, is long-range missiles and F-16. Also, he pointed out to the fact that uh, Russia was able to continue produce cruise ballistic missiles and some of the chips are originated from Ukraine's uh, partner countries. So this situation should be somehow, you know, it shouldn't be continuing like that. And he also suggested that would be a good idea to do some sort of an audit of how the UN agencies operating during the 16th month of war, which is, you know, some ways connected to the situations what is unfolding right now. Did he have anything to say about Wagner chief Prigozhin taking refuge of some sort in Belarus, which has been really deepening its ties with Russia, really aligning with Vladimir Putin. Were there concerns about Belarus getting more involved in this invasion of Ukraine? I would say his opinion on this matter was probably the most unusual, the most different from our experts. He believes that there's nothing to worry about. The, obviously, um, Ukrainian authorities monitoring what's happening in Belarus very closely and ready for any development. But in terms of the immediate threat, he does not think that it increases because, first of all, Wagner has to give uh, to give away the uh, heavy weapons uh, equipment to Rosgvardia, Rosgvardia or uh, National Guard of Russia. This is a military arm which is directly subordinated to Putin and to the president of, of Russia, whoever he is. And they're basically becoming the new Wagner. And the uh, Wagner numbers would dwindle. So uh, some of them would join uh, Minister of Defense. Most probably would like to join and rather this Rosgvardia and many would stay with Prigozhin and, and try to focus and try to move to Africa and focus on key business of uh, Wagner which is in Africa. In terms of Belarus, he said there are probably going to be like 20, 100 Wagner uh, fighters instructors who would be teaching Belarus armed forces on how to operate drones whatnot. So he does not think that Wagner in Belarus would in any way con constitute the danger to Belarus or to Ukraine. VOA Ukrainian Service Managing Editor Tatiana for Rolska. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. Western leaders say the failed mutiny by the Russian mercenary group Wagner over the weekend reveals the weakness of the country's president, Vladimir Putin. Henry Ridgewell reports. Wagner mercenary group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin has purportedly fled to Belarus following his abandoned mutiny. 
Belarus and Poland share a 400-kilometer border. The chaos in Russia is making Warsaw nervous. Mateusz Morawiecki is the Prime Minister of Poland. He said, we don't know, and no one in the world knows what were the real reasons behind the events. European Union foreign policy chief Josep Borrell said the mutiny revealed weakness in the leadership of Russian President Vladimir Putin. The monster that Putin created with the banner, the monster is biting him now. The monster is acting against his creator. The political system is showing the fragilities and the military power is is cracking. British Foreign Secretary James Cleverly noted that Prigozhin had questioned Putin's justification for the invasion of Ukraine. The Russian government's lies have been exposed by one of President Putin's own henchmen. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg echoed that view. And yet another demonstration of the big strategic mistake that President Putin made with his legal annexation of Crimea and the war against Ukraine. Can Ukraine take advantage of the turmoil in Russia? General Philip Breedlove is the former commander of US European Command. Certainly this begins to open some doors of opportunity, but we don't go rushing headlong through them. We take them as they are applicable to the plan that Ukraine has already set out. Meanwhile, Moscow's ally China described the attempted mutiny as a Russian internal affair. China Foreign Affairs spokesperson Mao Ning says China supports Russia in maintaining national stability and achieving development and prosperity. European Union member states agreed Monday to boost a special fund used to finance military aid for Ukraine by $3.8 billion, raising its ceiling to over $13 billion. EU leaders are due to meet later this week to discuss further support for Ukraine. Henry Ridgewell for VOA News, London. As news broke on Saturday that Wagner mercenary groups were headed for Moscow in a short-lived rebellion, analysts started to question whether China had aligned itself too closely with Russia. Rachel Faber with Reuters produced this report. China is Russia's top trading partner and closest ally. At the heart of their relations is a shared opposition to what they see as a world dominated by the United States and the expansion of the NATO military alliance that threatens their security. But the weekend uprising has unsettled Beijing's leadership, according to a top U.S. official on Monday. Moritz Rudolph of Yale Law School's Paul Tsai China Center. So um, this is something that um, for the the Chinese side, this is is of great concern because they have... um, huge interests in upholding stable and predictable relations with with Russia. They have economic interests, they have political interests, and they want to cooperate with um, with Russia at the, um, for instance, in regional forums and at the multilateral level. While Chinese state-run media cheered Putin's swift efforts to stamp out the rebellion, even some in China, where critical speech is tightly controlled, have started to question Beijing's bet on Russia. So um, stable um, Russia is really important for China. And now they saw that um, Putin might not be um, uh, as stable as it appeared. Wen T. Sung is a political scientist at the Australian National University. I think she likely still prefers Putin to the alternatives. 
in Russian politics. But Beijing now has more reasons to have more reservations and to become more transactional in its dealings with Putin's Russia. China has sought to play down the weekend's events and voiced support for Moscow, with which it struck a no-limits partnership shortly before Russia invaded Ukraine. The Chinese foreign ministry did not immediately respond to a Reuters request for comment. Rachel Faber with Reuters. The Biden administration announced this week it's sending up to $500 million in military aid to Ukraine. Pentagon Press Secretary Brigadier General Pat Ryder said the aid is aimed at bolstering Ukraine's counteroffensive, which has been moving slowly in its early stages. And includes key capabilities to support Ukraine's air defense requirements, as well as additional armored vehicles, anti-armor systems, munitions, and other equipment valued up to $500 million. Ryder said the aid was planned and not related to the Wagner Rebellion over the weekend. A blistering new report by the U.N. Human Rights Office shows Russian forces carried out widespread and systematic torture of civilians who were detained in connection with its attack on Ukraine, executing dozens of them. Torture was used to force victims to confess to helping Ukrainian armed forces, compel them to cooperate with the occupying authorities, or intimidate those with pro-Ukrainian views. The UN's Matilda Bogner says Russian forces tried to squeeze information out of the prisoners. Russian armed forces, law enforcement and penitentiary authorities engaged in widespread torture and ill-treatment of civilian detainees. Most of those we interviewed said that they had been tortured and ill-treated and in some cases subjected to sexual violence. The report also noted that while the Russian Federation is guilty of most of the crimes and cases of abuse, Ukrainian forces also use torture on its opponents. While Ukrainian pilots could soon be training to fly U.S.-produced F-16s, analysts say the jet fighters won't be seen on the battlefield anytime soon. In the meantime, the Ukrainian military is using a variety of aircraft in the field. Anna Kuchduchenko has the story. In their battle against Russia, Ukrainians are using the Mi-8, a medium twin turbine helicopter equipped with unguided missiles. The multi-purpose Mi-8s can also transport cargo and fight fires, explains helicopter aircrew commander Yevhen. VOA is omitting his last name and those of other fighters from this report to ensure their safety. There are three components to a successful assignment. To hit the targets, to come back alive, and to bring the helicopter undamaged back to the base. The coordinates of each target are set by an experienced air gunner, explains another helicopter aircrew commander, Maxim. Army aviation collaborates directly with infantry units. Before takeoff, we receive target coordinates and prepare meticulously for effective operation. Then we work under conditions of strong electronic warfare suppression, which means there are some nuances during our work. The pilots just got back from yet another sortie. The air gunner will announce the results later. If the target was not hit, the helicopter will be reloaded and prepared for another sortie. On average, one crew can fly up to four times a day, Maxim says. I want to fly again. I want to know the results and fly again. Finally, the air gunner announces the sortie was successful. The helicopters have hit all the targets. 
The most important thing is to finally win, and for the world to finally understand that Imperial Russia is not a friend, but an enemy. Ukrainian pilots will continue to fly Mi-8 helicopters. Some pilots would begin training to fly F-16 jets in the coming months, according to NATO officials. Last month, U.S. President Joe Biden said he would allow NATO allies to provide F-16s to Kyiv. But so far, none have announced plans to send jets to Ukraine. Anna Kostuchenko for VOA News, Donetsk region, Ukraine. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage of Ukraine and news from around the world, 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of the entire Flashpoint Ukraine team, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. Washington, bam, 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 zip, D.C.